We had a good day yesterday. The wedding went really well. Kevin and Rachel got married. It's good. You know, they've not been in the church long, but it's good that all of a sudden they, they feel conscious about, let's get this thing right. Let's put it under, in, let's put it into covenant. That's good. I'm really pleased for them. So uh, we had a good day yesterday and uh, everything went swimmingly well. I missed the first song. Can you imagine that? I write the order of service down and we got the songs in the wrong order. So I I'm just starting the wedding service. I think, we forgot the song. We haven't sang the first song. But they didn't know. So nothing was wrong, just that the order changed. If you're the one with the microphone, you can change the order. But all you've got to do is you've got to make sure that it succinctly just kind of syncs together. So nobody knows there's a problem. But Paul's going, we're supposed to be singing. I know, just follow me. We'll get to the song somewhere down the line. And we did. We got to the song. Well, we reached uh, an understanding last week that we're no longer having to wait for God to do something. God is putting the responsibility on our shoulders to do something. For many, many years we've waited. God, God, keep sending us signs. Keep sending us your word to convince us that you're doing something and you want to use us. People, how many times do people go to conferences wanting a personal prophecy? To hear the prophecy and then they keep going to another conference and another conference because they're not hearing a prophecy. And God's saying, I spoke to you here, why do you need another word? Because you haven't done what I asked you here. And you can go five years, six years, seven years without hearing God. And when God speaks, he'll always pick up from the last point he spoke. Because God doesn't forget. God doesn't ignore. God will always deal with you somewhere down the line. And uh, so we're not waiting for God to keep saying things. We know what God's been saying. Do we not? We know what God's saying to us. We know what God's doing in our midst. So it's our time to rise and do something with what God's saying. You'll find more results and you'll find more blessing and more advancement when you do something with what he's already told you. He gives you a little and you can produce a lot. Yes, it's true. And in Acts 1 verse 3, when Jesus died and, and, and arose again, he said he gave them many, 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 many convincing proofs. Once he was dead, now he's alive, he's gone back, he shared his resurrection, his power, his love, his Christ, his Christ, you know, his, his lordship with his disciples. And he, and he produced, I should say, and, and he appeared, that's the word I'm looking for. He appeared many, many times, giving them convincing proofs that, hey, the one who told you he would rise again from the dead, I'm, I am he. Look, the oaths are still in the hand. So he gave them many convincing proofs. That's all they needed. It's all they needed. And he kept coming back for a period of time until they were utterly convinced. You know, in the times that we've been here and gathering prophetically, God has showed himself time and time and time again to us. And he's saying, guys, I'm not, I'm not going to keep doing this because this is childness. This is childlike. It's time to mature and go and do something with what's been imparted into you. Because you'll never know what's actually inside of you if you don't go with something. Amen. So we, we said that last week, and we realized that, okay, Lord, it's time to go. The message last week was very clear, go, go. Now, I know some people, um, last week, last Sunday night, I kind of cleared that up because I knew it was strong at the end of the meeting, and I said to you, go can mean two things. Go can mean go into the world, go into the harvest field, or go can mean go, just leave. This is not the place for you. This is not the place for you. We are trying very, very hard as a leadership team to make this place so uncomfortable for you to sit and remain comfortable. Amen? 
You know, happiness is not a Christian fruit. But every Christian wants to be happy. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. Just don't demand it and get, you know, and throw a strop when you're not happy. Christianity is not about being happy. It's about being fulfilled. It's about being fulfilled. I can be fulfilled and not always happy, but I need to be content on the inside. I'm content with what God's doing in my life. I'm content. I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm not staying at that level, but I am content. There's a contentment inside me, but I want more. I want more. I'm not content to stay where I am, but there is a sense of he's working in me. And I also know, and just like you know, you know there's areas in your life you haven't given him. We're all conscious of that. We're all conscious of that. You know when you're praying, you know there's a part of you that says, you know, I'm still not doing this, and I'm not still not doing that. You're aware of your own shortcomings. You know it. The fact that you're all looking at me like that tells me you, you know it. Or is it just me? And there's a part of you that's scared to pray and let yourself go because you know you're not fully there. Because you wrestle with certain things. And God knows that. But as you keep speaking to God and keep pushing in the spirit, God will work those things out with you. He does it on the journey. He knows you're not perfect. Or he wouldn't have chose us. God wasn't looking for a, per- a perfect person. God was looking for a, a, an open vessel. So as long as you say, you know, you're open, that's great. You know, some people pray and read and do nothing with what they pray and they read. Many of us will take notes today, but will you do anything with the notes? You've got a pad full of notes. Great. You've shown yourself, you're diligent, you can, you can hear, you can write. Great. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But the issue of taking notes is you're going to do something with them. Not that you take notes. I commend you for taking notes. I do. But let's go to the next step. Let's go to the, it amazes me when people go to conferences, don't even take a pen or a piece of paper. They can't even remember the name. How are they going to remember what's been said? The reason, the reason why we take notes is that we can take it to an application. We can take it to the point of action. Amen? So we don't want the church to become comfortable. We want it to become uncomfortable because with a comfortable church, people say, oh, it feels so homely in here. We just want to take our shoes off and slide under the table. That's the worst thing anyone can ever say about your church. It's so homely, I just want to take my shoes off and just rest. It's not, the church is never meant to be resting place. It's meant to be an empowering place where you can send. That's the New Testament church. But as people say, now there's difference between being greeted and, and made welcomed. There's difference. Every church should have that. It's got to have that. But we don't want to the point where we're so relaxed, we're comatosed. And that's what church becomes. We forgot it's the place of empowerment. We forgot it's the place where we, where we receive the word to go out rather than just sit there and feed. It's me, 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 me. And we can't have that. The green light is on. It's not a red, red amber. It's a go. Go where? Go into all the world. Whatever your world is, whatever your field is, whatever your expertise is, whatever your sphere is, whatever your field is, go in there and be a light. Just go and be a light. Amen? Whatever. Your sphere is, go and be a light in there. Some of you have got great, great skills, great knowledge, great information, great lives. Go and share it. Go and don't just wait for people to talk to you. Pro, be proactive. Be proactive because that's what it's all about. Just being Christ where you are, who you're with. When the opportunity comes, just share in what's in your heart. 
Don't worry about if, if they look astonished. Don't worry about that. Don't go for results. Just be light. Just be light. Yeah? That's all we need to do. So in, in Acts, sorry, in Numbers chapter 14, 22. Well, you're turning there. Let me just say some, some things. If we know, church, listen. If we know the green light on the church is for go. Now, I'm not giving you management thinking here, green lights for go. I'm not giving you green lights in that context. I'm giving you a green light in, the ter- in terms of the mandate of the church is to go into all the world. Okay? This is not Anthony Robbins giving you some motivational speech. And he's using illustrations. Go, greens for this. I'm not talking there. I'm talking, let's go. If the color confuses you, let's just use the word go. Okay? We go. So if we're, call, if we're called to go, and we're all acknowledging it's green light, did you serve someone unexpected in an un, un, did you serve someone in the last seven days in an unexpected way? Come on, let's ask ourselves that question. Did you serve somebody in an unexpected way? Are you consciously looking for an opportunity? See, we can say go, but if you're not looking for it, and you're not looking for the opportunities, you're not going. Did you serve someone in an unexpected way? Look to do that this week, in the next seven days. You'll be surprised how many people you can serve. It's amazing. Did you notice someone or something, and did you, or in some, did you notice something in someone, and did you compliment them for what you saw? See, if you see something in someone and compliment, that can open up a conversation. It shows, it shows heaven that you're watching. It shows heaven that you're ready to share and step in. If someone's got to come to you, put their arm up your back and say, tell me about this Jesus, you're not a disciple. Guess what? They're not going to come and do that. Did you pray for someone? Now, Andy, why don't you just come and quickly share what's been going on with you? <laughs> a few weeks ago I came just after we had the prayer line and the youth prayed for us and I testified that yeah God had touched my knee and it's arthritic that was well was arthritic so it's not easy you know so when God touches it it was a dramatic change all right so what have I done with it since then well as pastors just said, what have you done within the last seven days? On Friday, I had the opportunity. I had to get my trousers turned up. So I went to the woman to get my trousers turned up. And I went on the Tuesday. And, and, you know, I said, oh, I noticed on your shop door, you said that, you know, you had to go to an emergency dental appointment. How did it go? Oh, it's not good, she said. It's not good. She said, because I've got loose teeth. So, oh, wow, that's not good. I said, she said, there's nothing wrong with teeth, nothing wrong with my gums. So I said, what's the problem? She said, it's smoking. Smoking rots the jawbone. And they never tell you that, do they? But smoking rots your jawbone. So I just had a conversation with them, and I went away. And as soon as I went away, God says, what have you done? All right. He said, never mind. He said, look, you're going back on Friday to pick them up. So on Friday, I went to pick my trousers up. And I said, don't mind me asking. I said, how's your teeth? So I said, well, I had to have it taken out. I said, okay, fair enough. I'm thinking. And I said, look, I'm awfully sorry. I said, I should have prayed for you on Tuesday. And I didn't. I said, can I pray for you now? And she went, yeah. Yeah. So I prayed. 
And it's as simple as that. It was a natural conversation, right? And I just prayed for her. And I said, Lord, I don't want any more of these teeth falling out. Heal my friend right now in Jesus' name. And, you know, I'd have swore it could have been just me. It could have been just the light of the Lord. But I would have said that she was, touched. She was almost in tears because somebody cared enough. Somebody recognized. And this isn't the other one. Not long after, I'd actually uh, had the touch from, from the Lord in the gym. I actually spoke to somebody in the, in the sauna. And, it was, and he says, yeah, I've got terminal cancer. I've got less than two years to go. So I said, oh, I'm going to stop that. So I went and said, can I pray for you? He said, yeah. So I prayed for him. Lord, heal him right now. Stop it. And then I said, well, did you go to church? He said, oh. And then he apologized for being a lapsed Catholic. Oh, I've not, I've not been to church. I'm, I'm not good. I said, look, I said, it's like, have you got any kids? He said, yeah. I said, well, if, your child, if your, one of your kids walked away and you didn't know why, I said, would you be upset? He said, oh, yeah. I said, but if he came back, would you question why? No. There you go. It's as simple as that. I said, your father's missing you. So I said, and I did, when I went back to the doctors to get some more test results, I told him, I said, I said I'm not really that bothered about what the test results, because the Lord's touched me legs, and I'm fine. And he went, right, uh, do you want some painkillers? No. Do you want a stick? No. Do you want some physio? No. I've been touched by the Lord, and it's all right. Oh. Now this stuff, is it hard? No. Do, do, how many of you know it, speak in tongues? Yeah? Do you remember when you couldn't speak in tongues, but you wanted to speak in tongues, and you were kind of like, you desired it, but you didn't know what to do about it, and you were frightened of it? It's the same. It's the same. There is nothing to be frightened of. There's nothing to be worried about. Do you think he's going to let, do you think there's going to be some sort of like, you're going to get thunderbolts and people are going to, you know, tell you off for wanting to pray for him or wanting to talk about Jesus. In amongst all of this, by the way, I also testified and gave, and gave a strong testimony to my boss as to how I came to Christ. And then a couple of weeks later, I was testifying to one of the girls I worked with who was having problems with her children, one of her, her sons. And I said, yeah, I again, I testified to the goodness of God. And it's natural conversation. It starts with the desire. You've got to have the desire to take what you've got out if we're not doing the work of the kingdom, what are you doing? It is easy. It's a conversation. It's grace. It's Jesus. Amen. That's good, eh? Now listen, don't confuse what Andy did with being an evangelist. <laughs> he's not saying he's an evangelist. He's doing the work of an evangelist. Amen. Just like you say, we can be prophetic, but we're not all prophets. And he's not saying he's an evangelist with a capital E. He's doing the work of an evangelist. In other words, he's sharing the gospel. And if a Catholic comes up to you and says, I haven't been to church, say, it's okay, I have. Just tell them, the church is here. We don't have to go to church. Church has come to you. Because we are the church. That's when the church really becomes the church. When you begin to testify. Listen, anyone who will open their mouth for Christ, the Bible says, if you deny me, I'll deny you before the Father. That's pretty, that's pretty full on, as the Australians say. It's pretty full on. We don't want to get there, do we? We don't want to get to the point where the Father says to us, you, never, you denied me, you never spoke to me when you had the opportunity. You shut me down. That would be an awful thing to hear God say that. I want to hear, well done. I don't want to hear, you scuffer. You never spoke for me. So let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 14. And we're going to change tack a little here. But not one of them 
sorry, not one of the men who saw my glory of the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised an oath to their forefathers. No one who was treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. There was a, there was a company of people here, folks, who saw signs and wonders. They saw the signs and wonders. We must never, ever get caught up with the signs and wonders, but we must use signs and wonders. Let's not just become a signs and wonder church. Let's carry Christ. If we carry Christ and signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word, what most people want is the signs and wonders, but they don't want the preaching of the word. They don't want the Christ. All we have to offer them is Christ. That's all we have. Now, if a miracle leads to an opportunity where you can give them the Christ, wonderful. Amen? We must always, look, the miracle is, is a tool to get Christ in there. Yes? The miracle is not the goal. Christ, what does it profit a man? If he gains his health but doesn't have Christ, his soul still goes to hell. So he has a wonderful, healthy body, but he still doesn't know Christ. Amen? So we must be very, very clear that the miracle is a tool just to use. We want the days of heaven here on earth. And this is carrying the days of heaven here on the earth right now through signs and wonders, miracles, but through the preaching of the word. It's the preaching of the word that does it. Because if we just perform miracles, listen, there's many, many cults who can perform miracles. But the difference between us is that we preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's what separates us. We have a message. Not just a miracle. Amen? Any miracle that I've received in my life, I can tell you about the one who's done it. Rather than just explain, oh, I, I once I was blind, now I can see. Yes? It's the one. It's the one behind the miracle. And you're not the one behind the miracle. You're just a vessel. He said, lay hands on the sick. What technology? How hard's that? He's the one who's invested everything. He's the one that's flowing through you. His authority, his name, his power. That's him. Amen? So the moment you take him out of the way, you become the focus point. Then you become the hero. And Christ will still perform miracles because the agenda is bigger than you. Amen? But he'll turn around and say, didn't we cast demons out in your name? I don't know you. So let's not get caught up with miracles. But let's use them. Amen? By no means am I belittling miracles, but I'm getting them in the right order. Christ crucified. Preach, and these signs will follow the preaching of the word. So anyone can do what Andy's doing. And everyone should do what Andy's doing if you look for the opportunity. So did you stop and buy someone a cup of tea this week on the street? Simple, you know, a simple. I remember going in Deansgate one day, walking past. And God said to me, buy this man a cup of tea and a sandwich. And I walked by and I was fighting with it inside. And I'm getting halfway across town and, okay, I'll give in. I goes back, he's gone. For all I know, that could have been an angel. It could have been, I could have turned this man. For all I know, he could have committed suicide. I don't know. But you know what? I learned a lesson. When he speaks, you better start cutting down that time of obedience. 
Yeah? I'll go, well, I'm in town next week. If he's there, I'll buy him one. No, he said no. Imagine if someone said to you, you said to, you, to your kids, I tell you what, I'm busy, I'll feed you on Monday. <laughs> so your kids have got to wait until you come back. Oh, sorry, Friday. You got, kids have got to wait until you get in. What do you think your kids are going to do? Always apply it to yourself first, and reasoning comes in. So we see here there's a group of people who saw glory and miraculous signs and performed them in Egypt in the desert, but they disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Now I know these people are not in here this morning. You've never, you've not seen things, but you've never test, tested God. Of course you have. Okay? But not one of them will ever see the land I promised. So there's something that God wants us to enter into, but that, that if we don't, if we keep testing him and keep disobeying him, we'll never enter it. Amen? You personally have to enter in. So when you personally enter in, we corporately also enter in. But each one must take, make their own journey. So, and but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, are there any Caleb's in the church today? Caleb, a man with a different spirit, a man who is willing to take responsibility, to take leadership of his own life and any, and any lives around him, but a man who will rise up with a different spirit and say, okay, Lord, my forefathers messed up, but I'm now the forefather. I'm going to be a father to the next people. Forefathers play a major, 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 major role in your development. They play a major, major role. We, we really need to understand the power and the significance of our forefathers. We really do. It's something that we, if we don't understand, we will become familiar and we'll never tap into what they carry. It's something that, listen, I've been, I've been, I'm saved, I was mentored, discipled, I was mentored, and I've been spiritually fathered. I've shown in my life that every stage, I've let someone put their hands around me, right? I'm not a man on my own. I'm a man who's under authority. I'm a man who's submitted. I'm a man who's allowed people to work in my life. Yeah? And that's the, that's the pattern we have to show so I can become a father, I can't be talking about fathering if I've got issues with my father. I can't be talking about fathering if I've got no honor for my forefathers. You look at, you look at me in that, way, in that area, that's one area of my life I can say is very, very clean. I've been a model, so no one can turn around and say it can't be done. It can. Because, I've, because I'm, God's allowed me by his grace to become a model in this area. And forefathers are very, very, very important. Amen. Forefathers allow you to, to either, they either close a door to your inheritance or open a door to your inheritance. These boys here, they close the door to their own destiny. But not, they didn't close the door to Caleb. Caleb carried a different spirit. Now, in our forefathers, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah? There's the good, there's the bad, and the ugly. I'd like to say everything about my forefathers was fantastic. It wasn't. But I'm still here. So praise God. What they did, they'll have to face them, they'll have to face the throne room because of what they did. And what they did good, they'll be rewarded for. But now it's my turn. Now it's your turn. Amen. So forefathers, let's go to Psalm 78, verse 1. 
Let's see the significance of forefathers. We're talking about living the days of heaven here on earth. We cannot bring the full days of heaven here on the earth without the, the input of forefathers. They've set us on our course. Amen? They've put us on our course. They've put us on the path. Even if it was the wrong path and now you found the right path. Without them setting you on the wrong path, you'd never have found the right one. God uses everything. Now the difference is, is when your mentor becomes your tormentor. But God, if he sees this, if he sees there's a son inside of you, God will always lead you to the right pattern. He'll always lead you to the right pattern. So, oh my people, in Psalm 78, oh my people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from old. What we have heard, known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the Lord in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. They would then put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. There's a lot in that scripture. There's a lot in that scripture about forefathers. First, we see that the baton of responsibility is given to forefathers. Hello? When two people get married, they are the start, the potential, they are the potential to start in a legacy and a dynasty. Okay? Two people get together. You know the Lord of Urge and Merge? They create a child. Okay? You have one child. A child then goes and gets married and has children of his own. Right? And they create this family. But it's the forefathers who start it. Right, the job of the forefathers is not only just to create the human race within their own lineage and name. The job of the forefather is to teach them certain things. To teach the children patterns. To teach the patterns, to teach the law, the law of Christ. It's to put Christ into your kids. So that when your child has got past the formative stage, there's something built into the child. So the child can walk the path You've, because the forefathers have shown them the path to walk down. But these guys, know, though in, they knew that, they still disobeyed. The forefathers strayed from the path. But, there's, but the law says that there'll always be a remnant who make it. Irrespective of, of our, the mistakes our forefathers made, and our forefathers have made a lot of mistakes, but our job is not to kill them. Our job is to claim, claim them as heroes. They're our greatest heroes. Without them, we would not have learned what we've learned. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You've got to take the whole package. You've got to take the whole package. My dad didn't show me a lot of things, but he did give me other things. And the things he gave me are the things I carried. And the things that he didn't give me, God had to be my father in those areas. Yes? God always leaves some room for himself. Because he doesn't want you to be totally complete that you don't need him. 
So God works through the storms. God works through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because your, your Bible tells you that in all things, God works. So if God works in all things, there's going to be times and situations and circumstances where the all begins to become a reality. Amen? And I realized, working with, walking with my dad, there was great, great gaps in my life. And I began to take, go off, veer off to the left. And it could have been and should have been put right with fathering. Fathering is a major, major issue in our nation today. You can cure a lot of the behavior in our society if you put fathers back in the home. You really can. So one of the graces God's given us is to talk about fathering. We have to talk about fathering. Because young men, young women need the principles of how to raise a family. Everybody thinks, you know, when somebody asks you, can we help you? Everybody knows how to do it. Have you noticed that? When you, when you offer them help, no, we don't need your help. We're, sorry, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. But then the next breath, they're saying, you know, you get no manual for kids, you know. You get no manual for kids. We're making this up as we go along. It's true. Internally, they'll admit to themselves, we're making this up as we go along. But externally, oh, it's okay. We don't need your help. It's interference. And you can see the warp patterns in our society. And children look to the forefathers for the patterns. That's the way God set it up. Someone has to be the teacher. Somebody has to be the student. Amen? So this group of guys, they knew the law. They knew the requirements. They knew that what Christ had told them. They'd met God on the mountain. They'd heard the prophetic word. They'd had to receive the law. And yet they still tested him and disobeyed him ten times. So Caleb, God raises up a next generation. And sometimes God has to bypass a generation and start again. And I honestly believe, whether this is just my personal, this is I, not the Lord. This is my observation. We've been in the Assemblies of God now for 50 odd years. This church is in the Assemblies of God church for all, for all that means and doesn't mean. The issue is I've seen this. My generation, not me, my generation. My generation is different from my forefathers. I've observed it. We carry something they didn't. Now they carried something their forefathers didn't. So God has given a grace to every generation to bring us through. But I've realized that my generation had to deal with the fathering issues. My dad's generation was a product of his father, which was a war generation. War messed a lot of people up and still does mess a lot of people up. So it affected the kids in the home. Because dad led by authority, not by relationship. Mum was the one who worked by relationship. She was the one who gave you your identity and affirmation. Dad said, stop crying, you, you, you know, your dipstick. Be a man. How can you be a man? Teach me to be a man, Dad. Don't just tell me to stop. Teach me. Teach me your ways, oh Lord. Yeah? Teach me. So dads, our dads were authority, authoritarians. Mum's were, mum was the go-between. She kept the home together. She still does. You can't, you've heard me say many times, influence is the new authority. Laws don't, you know, you, when your kid's 16, you say, I'm going to ground you. Guess what he's going to do? Yeah, jog on. But if you've got influence, you never lose your kids. You can always, always speak wisdom into kids if you've got influence. So that's what we've got to keep. We've got to work to be, you know, people of influence, not just people of authority. So here Caleb rises up and he begins to become a new pattern for a new generation. Amen? But the pattern of responsibility is on the shoulders of the fathers. 
Wow, it's a great responsibility to put. The moment you have children, you are now responsible. Not just for feeding them and clothing them and, and going to work and make sure you're providing. You've got to teach them. It's what you teach them is going to determine the man or the girl. True? It's how you live before them. Some of the language that our kids have to hear in the home is, is not right. Some of the actions they see in the home, it's disturbing. Kids shouldn't see that. And I'm talking about Christians. Christian kids should not be raised, be raised up and seeing and hearing some of the stuff that they see in the home. Round the table, some of the conversations you have round the table, the kids are hearing it. You're shaping your kids by what they hear. So we have to be very careful. Our language has to be wholesome. Our comments about other people have to be respectful. How can we expect them to have respect if you don't have respect? True? You can't be going home on a Sunday afternoon and carving up the preacher. Your kids are sat there thinking, ah, pastor's a dipstick. My dad told me. <laughs> he might be a dipstick, but not because your dad told you. Son, don't listen to what they tell you in that church. They don't know what they're on about. Great advice, Dad. Thank you. You set me on the path there, Dad. Thank you very much. So it's on the fathers. They must ensure the baton is passed on to the kids. That will include knowledge, training, discipleship, the ways of faith, trusting God, obedience, all those things that God entrusts you as a father. When I want to say a father, I'm going to put the two together, mom and dad. Okay? So it's not just a male responsibility. But there are times when it's a male responsibility. Just like this, it's, a, it's a mother's responsibility. Amen? Dad can speak. If you've got girls, dad, is, dad can speak certain things into a girl's life, which sets her right. But mum also has to come alongside and complete that work. Yeah? You can't be having Johnny sat on your knee when he's 16 and mum's still stroking him saying, oh, you're still mummy's baby. What kind of boy do you think you're turning out if he's still sat on your knee? You can't breastfeed a kid when he's 14. I know some kids, some, you see the weird ones on TV do it, but it's not right. It's not right. I'm just letting you know you're doing it. Stop it. Get a milkman. It's not right. Am I the only one in here? The milk he needs is the one of the word. And that comes from you, the parent. Amen. So we need discipleship, training, faith, family, all imparted into the next generation so that the days of heaven and earth can be lived and it can be imparted into every generation. We're raising godly kids. We're raising godly kids. We're not just raising kids who come to church. That's been the problem. Church does not, depending which church, church is not godly depending where you go. You know, one of the worst things they say, a man, be, a man in the cloth and a, and a man of God are two different things. Some of you here today are grandparents. Some of you are parents. So if you're parents and grandparents, you're the forefathers. Think of it. If you are a parent here today, and you, or you're a grandparent, you are the forefather to another generation. Now, when we look at our children over in, in there and upstairs, I'm, you know, for me as a pastor, I'm not just a pastor. I'm a great, 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 great grand, granddad for some of them. You know? And it's a wonderful thing to have in the house a father. Because it gives the house stability. Every house needs stability. Now I've had to grow. I'm growing into this role. 
It's not, I didn't decide one day I'm going to be a father. It's just something God says, it's on you, son. Walk in it. Raise them up in the ways. Set the law. Set the patterns for them to. Don't tolerate what the forefathers tolerated. Don't test me the way the forefathers tested me. Don't take the bitterness that some of your forefathers carried. You can't take it. If you do, son, you'll go the same way they did. Now, not, not all that they carried was bad. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Amen? So listen up, forefathers. Listen up, fathers. Listen up. Listen up this morning. God has something to say to us about the power of a forefather. Your name can either be written in history or your name can be forgotten. You know, a passion of my heart is to, is to build legacy, to impart legacy into generations. We've written books on it, manuals on it. Why? Because we believe this, the pattern of transfer is the only pattern God's given us. It's the only pattern. So in our life, we will have three types of people. We'll have teachers, we'll have instructors, and we'll have fathers. In our life, teachers, instructors, and we'll have fathers. We can all remember our teachers, can't we? We can all remember our teachers. Teachers leave us with good and bad experiences. I can, rem- I can point out all my bad teachers in Wright Robinson. I've got a hall of shame in my memory that says, you were bad, you were bad, you were bad. Now, they might not have been bad teachers because in somebody else's hall of fame, they were a good teacher. Yeah, So I'm not castigating them as useless. For me, I know I wasn't in a good place at school. Didn't have the mind, the heart, the discipline, the will to want to learn. I wanted to play football and chase girls. Is that so wrong? <laughs> I was no good at both of them. So the point is, is I should have listened and I didn't. So they became bad teachers. Anyone who made me do something I didn't want to became a bad teacher. It's still the same today. When mum and dad turned teach Johnny and Sally to be good, one day, the kid, you know, Johnny one day said, one day when my dad gets up, when I get older, I'm going to have my dad. I'm going to have my dad. Because every kid thinks he can beat his dad. And dad knows this because he knows it's a male thing. So dad, t- dad tries to stay as strong as he can for as long as he can. And he starts off with the arm wrestle. He starts off with a little wrestle. Then, you, then, then dad feels that Johnny's getting stronger. And he says, flipping it, one day this boy's going to beat me. But that day's not coming. <laughs> but he's aware of it. It's true. It's true. Girls don't test their mums in that way. Never seen two girls arm wrestle, but I've seen. And then you've got to teach the son, son, you are also a man. And you have grown in every way that I grew. But son, I'm your father. It's not about male ego, male strength. It's about, I'm father, your son. You can never, ever take my place. You can never take my honor. You can never take my glory. It's something that God generationally has given me. I'll always be your father, son. Whether you ignore me, disown me, I'll always be your father. It's not about male strength. It's about recognition. He's my dad. And when you have that set inside you, there's a boundary you'll never cross. But when they're young, he wants to wrestle you. And then he, he tries to throw a slight dig in. You think, whoa, son. Now, son, you're coming into an apostolic rebuke now if you do that again. 
So we've got to teach the kids. The teachers are so important in our lives. We need teachers. The Bible says you don't have many teachers. The Bible says you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. Yeah? Then we have instructors. Instructors can be a mentor. We all need instructors. But you know, there's a difference between an instructor from a teacher and a father. Some people think an instructor is a father. He's not. A father is different from an instructor. A teacher is different from an instructor. A teacher can teach you a theory, a principle. But an instructor will show you how to do something. He's a mentor. He'll come on, he'll come on site with you. You'll walk. Now, he wants you to do what he's doing. Do it as good as he can do it. And many of them will want you to do it better than they did it. So the instructor, now I was a type of kid that as I grew up, I liked the instructor because the instructor appealed to the way I was set up. Show me how to do it. I can learn better. Rather than, I never read the instructions now, Phil will tell you. So occasionally when I get frustrated with, with instructions, I need an instructor. Yes? Instructions are for people who read. And I read a lot, but not instructions. So I get myself in trouble. I want to fiddle and play. I want to play. Now there's some things I'm smart enough to know you don't touch. When you're a kid, you play with everything. But as you get older, you realize you don't touch certain things and you need someone to come in and show you. You need that, you need that person in your life. You need a teacher. You need an instructor. <laughs> right, whatever it is. Now, here's a classic one. How many of you know how to program your own skybox? Right, what's a skybox? Okay, well, <laughs> you need a teacher now, then, don't you? How many of you know how to operate your own technology at home? You look to your kids. Your kids know how to do half of this stuff. I say to Scott, I realize I never ever considered myself of being lazy around technology. But the more technology came out, I just lost the will to live. I just say, Scott, can you do it? Can you do it? Dumb. But you know, if I really wanted to learn, I'd say, Scott, don't just do it. Show me how to do it. Yes, I don't want someone to do it for me. I want to be shown how to. Then I have the power. And I have the knowledge. I have the wisdom. Yes, we need people in our lives to teach you. If the days of heaven are going to be lived on the earth, you need teachers and you need instructors. And then the last group of people is the fathers. We need the father. So even with a father, you still need teachers. You still need instructors. Now, you'll have these in your life, not just spiritually I'm talking about, but get the right teachers, get the right instructors in your life. Because the wrong instructor can undo you and send you in the wrong path. You've got to get godly people around you. Good people. And even if they're not godly people, just be careful because even secular people have good wisdom, good experience. So there's not only Christians who have experience. In fact, most Christians don't have experience, they're only called bad there's a lot of people out there with good experience, but be wise enough to know how far you can travel with them. Yeah? We've all been, we listen, we were all trained in Pharaoh's education system. We all went to school, we all went to college or university. We've all been trained. It's not wrong to be trained, but you've just got to know where the boundaries are. And that's, the role, that's the role of forefathers and parents. Yes? We can't become so secular that with no spiritual left in us. Amen? So fathers are a rare breed. Spiritual fathers, physical, even father, physical fathers are becoming a rare breed. 
What we have is male donors. We have men who will produce children but won't stick around to father them. Why? Because they've never been fathered themselves. So the, the, monkey, the monkey does what the monkey's already seen. And that's what we have is a whole generation of people messed up. Church, we have got to become an example. When other people look at, for examples, they look, they've got to see you. We can't be found with the same mess they've got. We're meant to be the light. We're meant to be the answer. I didn't say perfect, but at least we must have some evidence. Evidence that we follow a God and we're listening to what our God says. If our kids are causing riot like everybody else's kids, guess what? You're not the model. Now, I do believe there are some kids that are the exception to the rule. Some kids can be brought up really well. And a kid can just go off the rail for a period of time and come back on. So I'm not saying every kid that does wrong is a reflection on you. Parents work really hard. I look at my son, Ben. Ben was just one of those kids, no matter what we did, Ben would always be Ben. Ben would always be Ben. And everyone's got a Ben in their life somewhere. But then Ben began to become good. But there's a period when Ben, you just think, oh my Lord, today's going to be a Ben day. It's going to be a hard day. There's going to be conflict. Because Ben had a strong will. And you've got a strong will. So, was I a good father? I like to think it was. But not every day. Some days the monster came out. Because there's a monster in every one of us. So, teachers, instructors, fathers, we need them. But who helps the childish? Who helps the childishness? Childishness, that's right, isn't it? Who helps childishness? That's it. Childishness. Who helps that? Who helps get that out of us? Because in every one of us, there is childishness. In every one of us, there's immature ways. Even as a father. Because you know a dad can turn around and say, well, I'm boss. And he can set whatever law he wants and he can be as mad and silly as he can. He can be a bigger child than the children he's, he's, he's fathering. Because he's dad, I've got the authority, I can do it. I've got the luxury to do it. But really, your heavenly father's looking at you saying, son, is this the pattern I really want to show? And then you get convicted and you say, oh, I'm sorry, but you never apologize to your kids. If more fathers would apologize to the children and tell them when they've done wrong, There'd be a lot of healing in the house. And guess what? He would learn and she would learn that when you do wrong to apologize. One of the hardest things to get is to get your kids to say sorry to you. But isn't it a beautiful thing when your kids say, sorry, dad. Sorry, mom. Yeah, they give you that kiss. Then you, as a dad, it's all right, son. It's all right, son. <laughs> no, no. When Johnny comes home and says, I've done wrong and he wants to give you a hug. Hey, let him hug you. It's good for him. It's good for him. It's therapy for him. Amen. Well, I feel uncomfortable. So because you feel uncomfortable now, you block him. Guess what you've just done? You've shown him not to be affectionate. I wish my dad would have done that a lot more with me. So I always, one of the things I go after with my kids, I hug him. Scott hates it. He hates it. So when he, when he hugs you, he wants to give you that chest thing. Hey, what do you mean chest? So what he's learning now, now since he's been on the discipleship, now he's become a different kind of person. Now he's huggy. Now he's like, he's greeting us when, he, when we got off the plane and we met him in Australia. First thing is, arms around us. That's, that's a big difference. I noticed that straight away. Carol and I noticed it. And even now our kids, Scott's affecting Ben. And now Ben's beginning to be a lot warm around us. 
Now, Ben still, you know, still kind of give it that. He's still got the Manchester swagger about him, but I can see it. Why? Because if I keep modeling it to Scott, every time I speak to Scott on FaceTime, I always say to him, son, I love you and I'm proud of you. You know what? My dad never said that to me, but I'm not wounded because God, God healed me in that area. But I can say, son, I love you. He says, yeah, I love you, dad, too. He look, we look at each other in the eyes now. Now, we're not doing tongues. <laughs> we're giving manhood. We're, we, we're saying the right words. The atmosphere's got the right words in there. He knows dad's affection. I know my son's affection. A son's affection for his father. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to, have a, to hear a son's affection for his father. It's wonderful. It's the most powerful thing you can hear. Why? Because it shows you that the patterns have been put in. A daughter's affection for a mother. Oh, it's healing. Because you realize these, we don't just need to raise a generation. We need to raise a generation that shows gratitude. We're not standing here martyrs and saying, you know what? This is the hardest thing. We just need them to acknowledge sometimes why we're saying and doing the things we do. It's, you know, one of the beautiful things is when you're raising young children is they come and hug you and kiss you. Now I'm finding with my grandchildren that, I don't know if somebody understands this, but when my granddaughter comes in, she puts her arms around me. She comes in wild abandonment. There's something that I never even felt that, or maybe I did and I forgot all about it, that when I was a father to my young kids. There's something that you, the grandkids give you that you never felt when you were a parent. Or is it only me? So it's therapy to my soul. Every time Ella comes running up, ah, granddad, it's like, oh, keep saying it. It's therapy, healing, healing, say it to me. And then you've got the other one, granddad, granddad, granddad. She comes running and she runs up. She goes, oh, I don't know if I want to hug you. She's at that point and I think, oh, Ella, you come back. I like yours. But it's, it's, it's therapy. And she's seeing that a granddad has got affection. It's beautiful. And then you're going to lose that. Then she start getting, when pimples turn up, and she's in the, she's in the, the makeup room for four hours because she can't see. She doesn't want to come out. She's frightened that everyone will look at her and think that she's not worthy anymore. You still got to get older and say, darling, you're still a princess. And I know she knows that, but she doesn't believe it. But then as we keep saying it, she breaks through, and then she sees it again. All you can ever be as a parent is consistent. Hello? So we've got, to help, we've got to have a father to help us put childishness behind us. Because there's childishness in every one of us. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, I'm going to close on this. I've got much more I could say. But I thought I felt I said I won't even get past half an hour. But here we go. Who helps us put the childishness to one side? Well, fathers do is the answer. Fathers do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I became a man. Wow. I put childish ways behind me. So when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Who helps you become the man? No. Not just God. God gives you fathers on the earth to help you become the man. Now, if you haven't got a father on the earth, God does. Obviously, I appreciate that. If you don't have a father, God has to do it. God has to do it. There's something that, listen, our parents can only give what they've got. 
They can only give what they've got. They can't ask for any more. But when you have, like, see, my father couldn't give me certain things because he'd never been shown. So I can blame him all I want, but it's not his fault. So my granddad never had been shown it. So I can blame him all I want. How far do I want to go back with his bitterness? So God has to deal with something in me first. God dealt with me first. Now the Bible says, the pattern says this, but this is when God works. He doesn't abandon his pattern. He goes beyond something. God says, when the hearts of the fathers turn to the children. Okay? But in my situation, the heart of the son had to turn to his father. And then the heart of my father turned to me. Right? No, God didn't abandon his pattern. He was just using something in my situation. When my father came to the door, and I hadn't seen my dad for about six or seven years, my dad had significantly changed. He wasn't the father that walked out. But when he walks at that door, everything inside me says, shut the door, leave him on the outside. But something on the inside, I heard very strongly, don't you dare, invite him in. Ugh. Why? You know why. So you take him upstairs into the office. And it was a, a, a real surreal moment because I'm sat behind my desk and my dad sat on the other side. And it looks like a place of power. The table and the, the library at the back of you kind of sets the image that, hey, Dad, I'm knowledgeable. I'm not. But the book library looked good, right? People have books they've never read, but they look good. So here I am in the back here, all the stadiums at the back of me. Dad's thinking, whoa, my boy's changed. He never even read the newspaper. Now he's reading encyclopedias. And I'm sat there, and for the first time, my father asked me for advice. Whoa. And everything, want, everything inside me wanted to say, I'll give you some advice. I'll give you some advice. It'll be the best advice I've been waiting to give you all my life. But that's not, the opportunity was there for that. But I don't take the liberty. Because God was trying to teach me something. Fathers, keep the honor for the father. Because if you don't do what you need to do right now, generationally, it carries on. And I didn't realize how I was going to respond to my dad would affect my future with you as the church and we, you and uh, my own children. So God was doing something very personal because God was going to give me a platform in the future to talk about this very issue. So I had to make sure it was right with my dad. And God sovereignly did it. When there was no father to teach me, physical father, heavenly father stepped in. But you know, once your heavenly father steps in and sorts you out, you're fixed. You're fixed. So when you go back to your earthly father, You've got a different mentality. You've got a different heart towards them. You've got a tolerance that you never had before. I didn't want to arm wrestle him now. I didn't want to get all of his neck. And then one day in the church, he stands up, comes to the front, and affirms me in front of everybody in the church. Never heard that before. It's like, oh, it's like Ella running up to me. Healing. Healing. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. So we need to put childish ways behind us. You say, well, I've been hurt. Yes, you have. You've been hurt. We all have. But there has to come a point when you let a father in. Well, your father, you're going to be like everyone else. Don't brand everybody else the same. It's not right. We're not all the same. We're not all the same. So when I was a child, you've got to ask yourself, are you still a child? Are you still a child? Do you, 
Do you talk like a child? Do you think like a child? Do you reason like a child? Every time you, you hear a father speak or wisdom spoken, do you kick like, like a child tantrums? Do you run a mile? That's the childish nature inside of us all. Can you not stay in one place and let someone put their arms on you and build your life and form the Christ? Or do you run every time someone touches you or reaches out to you? That's childishness. Why is it childish? Because you're still unformed. The pain's real. But the behavior is childish. Hello? Unless someone, the Father God can use a man to come round, put his hands. When I say hands, I don't mean touch you. But you know, form you, shape you. God has to use men to reach people. And when there is no man there, God sovereignly steps in. God told me many years ago, you'll never have to look for your teachers. I'll always make sure they're in front of you. And God used the word teachers, but out of that teaching became a father. God put a father in my life, a spiritual father. So I have a physical father. Oh, I had a physical father. When my father died, everything is finished. Like Jesus said, it is finished. When I put my dad in the grave, everything was finished. No bitterness, no hurt, no nothing. The chapter closed. Beautiful. So we talk, we think, and we reason like children. Yes? But when I became a man, that's the stage, folks, where Christ has to be formed inside of you so you can become the man. When I say man, you, ladies, you know what we mean. You have to become a finishing generation. A finishing generation is a, is a generation that rises to manhood, womanhood. Their womanhood in Christ, their identity, their validity, fixed, affirmed, because we've all had flawed patterns. We've done the best we can with our children, but let's admit it, we've not always did the best. We're not blaming our, our parents. Don't blame your parents. Take responsibility now. Take responsibility. You know, I, I spent that season blaming dad. I realized I wrote him a letter. You know, the, vindic the vindictive letter, the one that you want to shove down his throat. I wanted to swallow it. I wanted it to become like a scroll in his mouth, but I didn't want it to become sweet. I wanted it to become bitter. Swallow it. You deserve it. But no, God says, why don't you eat my scroll? Why don't you taste the words from my word? Let it become sweet inside your soul first so that when you put your scroll in his mouth, he will taste what you're tasting from me. Sweet, healing. Not and, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We've got to bring healing into our relationships. Show people it's possible to fix what's broken. So that we can stand as a generation. And now we can become the forefathers. When I, and I love the fact that our children in there and the kids upstairs and the youth next door. I love the fact that they've got a generation now in the church that's modeling things to them that we never had. We can be heroes we can be heroes. Fantastic. Not gods. Heroes. We don't want to become gods to them. We want to become heroes. Yeah? My spiritual father is a hero because he stood for things when it wasn't popular. And he still covers me now. Even in his sickness, he'd come and put his arms around me if he had to. If he could physically stand here and show you as a church how much he loves me, he would do it. And he's labored 
And I look at that, what I've received in my life, and I think, it just makes me want to become a father to you more and more. And that's the beautiful thing about having a father in your life. When I was a child, when I first went to Malaysia, I was a child. I was, a, I was an arrogant, immature pastor. Is there such a thing as one? Well, if it wasn't, I was. I was the first. I was a breakthrough generation. I taught like a child. I reasoned like a child. But then he became, the boy became the man. And now I put childish ways behind me. So now I don't talk like a child. Now I hope I don't think like a child. Now I don't reason like a child. Why? Because I'm put away. And in Galatians, last scripture, Galatians 4.19 says, My dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you. This is Papa Jonathan speaking. If I could use him in this illustration. And now change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. A father's concerned. A true father in the faith is concerned how you live, how you think, how you reason. Why? And he labors so that Christ can be formed in you. He doesn't want to control you. He doesn't want to dominate you. He doesn't want you not to move without his permission. That's not fathering. That's bondage. But a father labors and labors and labors and labors because he carries the childbirth pains. You women thought you were the only ones who carries it. But a father carries the concern for the church. Seriously. I'm really concerned about some of you people. So I go to pray. I write materials. I try and preach strong so we bring the clarity. Set the pattern on the ground. Give, give the people no reason to fall. To fall. Give the peace and no, people no reason to go on a different path. So we labor and labor. That's why we're discipling. Everyone must be discipled. But everyone thinks they've been discipled. So that's why we're laboring in the discipleship. That's why we're laboring in the conference. To set the right patterns for church. Why? Because this father carries childbirth pains. It's not a gift only for women. It's a gift for fathers. They're concerned. So when, when I talk to you and observe you from a distance and I come and talk to you, don't treat me like the headmaster. I'm not your headmaster. I might not be your father, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not pushing that on you. I want you to know there's a concerned man here. Because I don't want you going... Listen, many of you have been to many churches, been messed up along the journey. Hello? You've been taught all kinds of things. No one matured you. Many of us came here immature. I did. I arrived here very immature, very arrogant. Somebody had to put their arms around me. Someone had to put their arms on me. Someone had to put their life inside me. That's the role of a teacher, a mentor, and a father. Because... Before I, I got a father in my life and allowed a father in my life, I opened my heart to a teacher. Then I, I moved into instruction. Then I moved into fathering. It's a journey. So you might not see someone, you might not say, well, he's not a father to me. Fine, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's, it's okay, it's okay, you're free. But let, let me be a teacher to you. Well, he's not my teacher because I listen to somebody else. I listen to Kenneth Copeland. Well, you're confused. Not because of Kenneth Copeland. Not because of Kenneth Copeland. You can't, someone else can't be your teacher and you come to another church. That's confusion. 
That's wrong. You can enjoy these people, but you, there, must only be, there must be a first of everything. Yeah? You can't be drinking from every well. Nothing wrong with Kenneth Copeland. I don't care what people say. I'm not using Kenneth in that context. It was a random name that came to me, Ed. What I'm saying is, if, he's not, if I can't be a father, let, let me be a teacher. And if you're at the teaching stage, let, become, let me encourage you to allow us to go into the instruction stage. And God will show you whether you need a father or not. You know, I said to my children, I am your father. Date of birth, birth certificate, DNA. <laughs> Says I am your father. But you know, for God to turn around and say, you are my father, that's a different thing altogether. For Scott to say it, my children to say, Dad, you are, my, you are our father. That's a different word. That's their choice. They see things. That's not mine. I know biologically I'm their father. But for them to say it back to me, it's a different, it's a different journey. Amen? So our forefathers, we never got to talk about our forefathers. We talked about fathers. But okay, let's stand to our feet if we will. I'm finished. My time has come. So don't forget Wednesday, 7.30. Father, just open up your heart right now, if you will. Hopefully you've captured something of the heart of a father this morning. You've, you've heard the childbearing pains he has for some of you. I want to encourage you in Christ. I appeal to you in Christ. To put things right with your family. I encourage you to go to your family and seek peace and restoration. Wherever possible. If it's not possible, it's not possible. But I encourage you to go and seek restoration and peace, forgiveness. If you've been the, the, the bearer of the trouble, go and ask for forgiveness. Go and bring Christ into the situation. Let Christ deal with you first. For a week, just pray. Let the Holy Spirit soften the ground inside of your heart. Let him soften your heart. Let him speak to you what he needs to speak to you. Let him deal with you first. And then after seven days, go and do what you need to do. But do it. Do it, I appeal to you. Because this will be the greatest freedom you would ever have. Once you're free, once you've got Family freedom, hey, I tell you, if it's your husband, it's your wife, your children, your, your, fa your grandfather, whatever it is, please, please go and seek restoration wherever possible. But for seven days, ask the Holy Spirit to do something in you. First, before you open your mouth, let the Holy Ghost first talk to you. Bring out how you're feeling. Write a letter about it to yourself. Get it out there. Hear how you feel. And once you feel it, once you feel it, you recognize it, you can repent of it. And you say, well, it's not, I didn't cause it. That's not the issue. We're talking about putting things right. Not how you feel. It's not about justification. It's about putting things right with your father, your heavenly father. Acknowledge it before your heavenly father. And then when you feel the cleansing and the forgiveness in your heart, then go to the person, the people, and then seek restoration. But what happens if they don't? You've done your part. You've done your part. Your father 
will hold you responsible after that. I'm telling you, some of the greatest freedom is coming upon you. If you'll take this word. It wasn't all bad. Well, you don't know. You know, you don't know. You don't know. I don't know. You're right. I don't know. But your Heavenly Father does. I want, you, I want to use my life as an encouragement to do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Well, wow, you're a pastor. Hey, I was a kid. I was a young man who didn't know any different. All I did was obey God. Thank God I obeyed him. Amen. We say, well, I don't have any feelings towards my grandfather or my dad. Well, we'll find out when you go and, try and, when you go and talk to him. We'll find out what the feelings are. He'll reveal them to you. So in Jesus' name, I encourage you. I plead with you. I plead the covenant. I plead the blood of Christ to go and heal every sickness, sin, waywardness. I pray that the Holy Ghost will, will send you out to do what you need to do. So that when you go, you're clean, you're clear. The pathway is, there's no obstacles. The Bible says, remove the obstacles on the way to Zion. Remove them. Remove every obstacle that's hindering you from making the journey to Zion. Because you have come to Mount Zion. Amen? So in Jesus' name, come on, just pray right now. Pray in your own heart. We've had a strong day today. We've been in the throne room. We've heard God's word to us today. God's been merciful speaking this word to us. He's given us an opportunity to go to the next level.